You're listening to SAS Nordic, the sassiest podcast in the Nordics. Hi, I'm Daniel. And I'm Thomas. And we are experienced SaaS professionals that are curious about how other successful SaaS companies go to market, scale, build winning teams and great products. Join us on our journey as we speak to Nordic SaaS leaders trying to get hold of their secret sauce. And today's guest is Hadar Kash at Industrifonden. There's nothing giving more confidence than having met someone who said he was going to do something and then he, he or she comes back 12 months later and have actually done it. Welcome to this second episode of the SaaS Nordic podcast. And this time we're going to have the investor perspective. So, Daniel, what can we expect from this episode? Really exciting episode because at one point all of us will, will need some external cash to accelerate our journeys with our SaaS companies. And today we're, we're going to hear from one of the leading investors in the Nordics what they are looking at prior to investing in, in new businesses and new ventures. So it's a really exciting exercise to listen in to how they validate and identify good prospects. Yeah, and an interesting detail here is that Industry Fonden that we will uh, listen to now, they actually funded Funnel.io, that was our first guest. So you will see sort of the other side of the story here. And uh, we have from Industry Fonden, Hadar Cash, that will be the one that we will talk to. So without further ado, let's get down into the talk and the money. Let's do it. A big warm welcome, Hadar. Thank you, Thomas. And thank you, Daniel. So today, I mean, we are very curious about all things around SaaS, as you know, and also what we would like to do today is look into sort of the world of the investors. And I mean, Industry Fonden has been one of the main investors for many, many years uh, in Sweden and, and maybe also outside Sweden. So it will be great to hear more of that during uh, this session. We're super excited, like Thomas said, to have you on board here. And a lot of our listeners are running uh, early stage startups and they're just in in taking the first steps and how to go about Series A funds and, and all of these things. And we're going to jump into to all of these things in, in just a little bit. But before we get into that, we, we'd like to know, Hara, a little bit about your story. Um, I know you a little bit from the past. We have a working relationship, but you haven't always been on the investment and VC side. I, I think you started your career uh, operational also on the tech side, right? That's right. Yeah, thank you. So I'll just uh, give you the brief background. I, I've been uh, here at an industry fund for around eight years, but I have uh, another roughly 10 years prior experience with venture capital in a couple of uh, no other Nordic funds, a Finnish one called Equitech and a Norwegian one called Techno Invest. But my, my, my beginning of my career was operational, uh, as you said. So I was in telecoms. I was nine years with Ericsson, half of that time in Japan. I was uh, the president of a company called Cellpoint, working with positioning technologies in the very early days, much prior to iPhone. Uh, and I have been doing some other stuff. I started a mobile operator uh, back in the 99, 2000 times as well. So a, a little bit of a broad spectrum there, but uh, investments for the last roughly 18 years. 
Yeah, you were into Orange, right? That's right, exactly. Yeah, that was in the in the Framfab times. I remember that the Swedish name was it. Uh, it was Appelsinbolaget, I think, was the internal <laughs> name of it. Because That's I right. was at Framfab also during uh, the. Yeah, 2000s, something like that. Yeah, those are really fun times, actually. But that's a, that's another story. Super exciting. And can you tell us a little bit um, how how you you got your, your first steps into the, the VC fund world and the investment world? How did you make that leap, so to say? Sure. Uh, well, actually, I, I was uh, just after this Orange Adventure, I was... Um, uh, uh, contacted by a, an, an old study mate of mine, a French guy, who was then uh, uh, working in a French venture capital fund, uh, in Ven- uh, V Ventures, and uh, I helped them uh, on a consultancy basis with some deal flow in Sweden, and uh, among others did a, I think very exciting investment in a company called Digital Route, which is now a fairly big company, in, uh, I think turning over half a billion crowns or something like this. Uh, and I got uh, excited about this and thought this is great fun. So I uh, decided this is for me. And since then, I've been working with investments inside funds, not only as a consultant. And, and today you're the investment director at Industrifonden. And I think Industrifonden for uh, most of the Nordics here doesn't need much of an introduction, but it's always nice to hear uh, the particular track that you're running. If you can tell us a little bit more about you and your team and the responsibilities and, and the investments you guys are overlooking. Of course, yes. So Industry Fund, and I think we are one of the more active uh, investors in the Swedish venture scene, so to speak. We are really focusing on on Sweden or in Nordic companies with a strong Swedish link. We have uh, roughly 6 billion crowns that we are managing, and we are set up in a evergreen structure. So we don't have external investors. We have all our money on, on, our, on our balance sheet, basically. Uh, so we have to make um, good investments, and when we get an exit, we get new money to invest in new companies. So where did you get the money to start with? So initially, it was uh, it's a uh, it's a uh, government money that was uh, put in place uh, back in 1979, roughly a billion crowns uh, by the time. And since then, it has basically been uh, turned over by investing in new companies, uh, exiting them, being able to invest again, and so forth. So now, the fund is a little bit bigger when it started, and uh, an advantage I think for entrepreneurs and um, uh, working with industry funding is the fact that. This evergreen structure makes us able to have a longer term horizon than many others can do. We don't have investors that want their money back immediately. I mean, we clearly want to make an exit. We don't mind an exit in three years, four years, but we can also stick to our investments longer. So some of the best investments we have made, in fact, have been often holding periods of 12, 13 years. And this is something that's a little bit unique to industry funding. Another good uh, advantage for our investors is that we, oh, sorry, for our um, entrepreneurs is that if we make an initial investment, we typically follow up and can participate in many subsequent rounds as we have quite a lot of cash available on our balance sheet. You mentioned that you had done some some good exits. So could you give some examples of sort of uh, prominent exits that you have done? Absolutely. Actually, the best exit industry fund has done is uh, down in Skåne, of course, where you belong, guys. <laughs> of course, it's a click tech or, or, or click that uh, that brought us uh, 40 times the invested amount. So we were very happy about that, obviously. 
Uh, but other other uh, good exits include, for example, Arkham, 3D printing company that we first put on the stock market and later on it was acquired by General Electric. Very good investment. Uh, we have Soundtrap uh, that we sold to Spotify a couple of years back. Company called Movimento, working with over-the-air uh, updates of software in cars. That was sold to Delphi, one of the big sub-suppliers to the car industry. Uh, so we also have companies that we have put on the stock market, but we are still owners of today. Uh, in the life science space, I can mention Oncopeptides, which is like 8 billion sec company now doing very well. We have, uh, Caliditas, also life science, uh, market cap of 5 billion sec. We are still holding it. So we haven't exited it fully. We have done partial exits, but, um, yeah, so we have, we have, we have, uh, I think a good track record. One of the companies that people tend to know about actually is Oatly. Oatly, yeah. Which, uh, which is, uh, we still, nowadays we have a very small uh, stake, frankly speaking. Yeah. But the last valuation of that company was $2 billion when they raised money just. A joint venture with the Chinese, right? Yeah. The, the Chinese came in after us, but, uh, that's right. They are, <laughs> they are, they are, uh, they are quite big owners now. I think that that's a super impressive track record. And I want to come back a little bit to what you said initially here, your approach, the fact that, it's all your funds and, and, and not somebody else's funds. Uh, you're a little bit more of a patient investor. Uh, but what is what is normally uh, the time horizon for you guys when you go in and, and support somebody in an early stage? Is there a standard time frame we're looking at within five years we want to make an exit or how does that normally look? So we, we are we are impatient also. I mean, we want the companies <laughs> to, to grow quick and uh, and make a good exit, uh, but we, we are not depending on that. We don't need to sell out earlier than, than necessary. If a company is on a very good track, uh, we don't want to sell too early. So, so, but that said, we, we, we are looking for, for uh, exits uh, as soon as possible as well. But I would say typically when we, when we come into a company, it depends on where, when we invest, obviously, but we, we tend to invest fairly early. So I would say a typical holding period of say, Five, six years is what we, what we look for initially. Sometimes it, it becomes shorter, which we are happy about. Sometimes it becomes longer. We might be happy about that as well. <laughs> yeah. And, and when it comes to, to your investment strategy, um, is it only the funds that you supply and that's how you support? Or do you also go in sometimes with uh, support operationally, meaning that you, you bring in certain know-how and experience and, and help these uh, organizations a little bit more hands-on? We always, uh, when we invest, we always take a board seat. We always want to have a stake that is meaningful enough. We say typically minimum 15% of a company meaningful enough so that it makes sense for us to, to help the company. Not operational as we don't take any, uh, as an executive role, but we, 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 we join the board. We try to help as much as we can when it comes to opening our contact net. We have quite a good contact network, obviously, both in Sweden and abroad. Help the companies with their business strategies, development, and so forth. Uh, coach the CEO if coaching is needed. Uh, particularly, we are active when it comes to the refinancing next round and so forth. And uh, eventually, when it's time for the exit, we we try to be of assistance there as well. So we 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 want to be a very good partner, obviously, to the entrepreneurs we invest in, and I think we are. Okay, great. So you get a full service approach with Industry Fund then. Yes, yeah. that's right. That's great. I said it better myself. That's great. That's great. <laughs> so uh, to a lot of our listeners, like we said earlier here, they are uh, 
founders, uh, leaders of, of SaaS companies, often early stage companies. And as you know, there's a lot of them that have great ideas and to take the next steps, they need some, some cash infusion to further accelerate their operations. Um, some of the questions that we've received is, I have this great idea, I've landed my first customers, how do I go about raising capital? And, and, and thinking about what you just said now, we'd like to understand from your perspective, like how do you find interesting prospects? How do you identify interesting companies that are up and coming? How do you qualify them? Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. But first, how we find them, we, we obviously we have a quite good network in Sweden with with entrepreneurs we have been supporting and entrepreneurs we know and so forth. So we, we typically get a lot of, uh, say, market intelligence from, from people we know. What are the cool companies? Who are the good entrepreneurs? Which should we talk to and so forth? And we try to be quite outreaching in that respect. We also try to participate in events and in podcasts like this one <laughs> to make our names known and, and, and to meet as many people as possible. And that's the best way to, to, um, to get to know the, the good up and coming entrepreneurs. Obviously, we also get, I mean, I think our name is quite well known in the, in the ecosystem. So we get quite a lot of inbound interest as well. People contacted us basically having heard from someone or get the recommendation. We also, get interest from other investors who want to maybe co-invest with us, which we are very happy to do. We like to co-invest. Uh, often we do, not always, but we often do. So that's how we find this. What? Sorry, what was the second question? Well, one thing that uh, strikes my mind here, let's say that me and Daniel, we had a startup and we meet you at, at some kind of event. Yeah. And what would be the next step? What would you want from us in order to be able to proceed and see if we could be a potential investment for you? Right. So, so we don't invest in the, in the absolutely first stages of, of, especially in SaaS. We have, I mean, we don't only invest in SaaS, actually. We do some more, say, deep tech investments as well and so forth. Um, but, but in a SaaS world, we wouldn't invest in the absolutely first stage. We would like to see the company having reached, I would guess, maybe five to 10 million ARR in that, in that range, uh, to, to feel more confident that we have a, for that market fit and that things are start, starting to ramp. But that said, we think it's very nice to meet the entrepreneurs in an early stage. So already when this, so it's, it's a good idea to reach out to us and to meet us in the events and to give us a call. And if you think this is an interesting space and this sounds good, we would like to have a meeting. Uh, and that doesn't necessarily lead to an investment in the first, in the first. Uh, time, but, but could very well be so in, in six months or 12 months. There's nothing more giving more confidence than having met someone who said he was going to do something. And then he, he or she comes back 12 months later and have actually done it. Uh, so it's a very good way to, to, to have an, an early discussion with us and then come back again when, when you reach five to 10 million or so, uh, depends on the case again. So besides that, having reached that sort of size and that ARR, what are other metrics or other things that you sort of look at uh, if you want, when you look at if you want to proceed with an investment or not? Right. So, I mean, first of all, we, we, we want to make sure that they are addressing a big enough market and a growing market. Uh, it's really important. If you have a two, 
small market, you cannot really make big make make a big company. Uh, also, we want to make sure that there is some important differentiation, some kind of unique insight, a unique way of doing things, so that you don't become a me too. We don't want to invest in a company that might become fairly big in Sweden, but doesn't really have a chance internationally. Or, or we want to. Have, so it's important that you have a unique edge and uniqueness like that. And, and of course, as everyone says, and it's, it cannot be said enough, so important that, that the team is on, and the, the founder, founders, uh, that we believe in them because it's so incredibly difficult to succeed. Uh, as you, you guys know well, it's really difficult. So, so that, those are a few things. I think another thing I would like to say, I think it's important to have uh, a pretty, narrow focus that you 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 really figure out what you want to do when you focus on that and don't become too broad too early because then it's a risk that you don't succeed with anything you can eventually broaden out but in in the early days it's important to have a, a fairly narrow and focused approach to to the application you're trying to address so those are some thoughts at least and of course, then we look at the KPIs. We, we want to see growth. We want to see, you know, all those things as well. We want to, to uh, have reference calls with happy customers uh, who want to buy more. Net negative churn is a fantastic thing if you can achieve the upsales to existing customers and very low actual uh, logo churn and these kind of things. SAS Nordic is growing, and now we're launching a unique peer-to-peer -peer community on Slack. My name is Nina, I'm the SAS Nordic Community Manager, and I would like to invite you to join this exciting forum. This will be the place to network, collaborate, and share knowledge with other SAS professionals in the Nordics. The SAS Nordic community is free and open to everyone working in Nordic SAS companies. Come join us at sasnordic.com. We can't wait to have you on board. So not only do you have uh, do you need to have a proven track record of, of a certain level of committed ARR, so to say? But you're also looking at the market should be big enough, the addressable market being best in the Nordics or in Sweden alone is not cutting it. You're, you're looking for somebody that can take on the world, so to say. And initially, there needs to be a clear path into how you're going to conquer the world with approaching a particular niche or narrow enough, so to say, so you become an expert in a in a defined area. Yeah, and I think that's a good summary. I, I think there's there's a lot of companies that probably can can tick these boxes, but still not all of them are successful or or grow at the same rate or at the desired rate. Uh, so my question to you would be a little bit, you guys have invested in, in a lot of companies. Some of them grow faster and are more successful with fantastic exits. Some of them don't have the same acceleration. Is there a way for you to, to put in words or define what is the difference between the successful SaaS companies that you've seen that have done these fantastic exits versus the ones that had the right foundation, they could check these checkboxes initially, but didn't have the same success down the road? It's a good question. I think to a large extent, it really boils down to execution and the team. Um, I can take an example, actually, which is Funnel, one of the companies I uh, have invested in I'm at the board. 
And they were initially doing something quite different from what they're doing today. They had, uh, had, had a, a, another SaaS product called Quaya, uh, working as a, with, it was a tool for Facebook advertisement, basically. And what happened was that Facebook uh, introduced a free of charge competitor to Quaya. Pretty difficult, steamrolled over by, by your kind of partner uh, with a, with a free of charge tool. Uh, could be, have been the end of, of, of what is now founded, but, but the team was very quick in spotting this, seeing, looking around the corner, turning, moving the say, business strategy around and launching a different product with, which was not affected by this uh, big competition under the new name Funnel. And since then, it has been a fantastic growth story, very, very successful company, as, as, as you probably know. Uh, and I mean, it it comes back to the the, the strength of the team, uh, a, a team that can. Um, so I think that that's what probably <laughs> the most important thing to to succeed. How important is the is it to sort of keep the founders or so uh, over time in a company? Do you say? It's always a big uh, decision to to remove or to change the the, the founders. What would you like to see, obviously, is uh, a Daniel Ek that can grow from really foundation to a hundred billion sec company and, and beyond, right? Yeah. It's quite rare, to be frank, that the same guy can can do that. So so so, um, but uh, you lose a little bit of the of the uh, of the spirit and of the um, passion perhaps if you replace the founders it's something we, we try to avoid but sometimes uh, the founder doesn't cut it all the way through and, and i think often it's something that the founder feels as well uh, and then one agree with him or her that maybe it's time to find the, the ceo that can take the company from from 10 million dollars arr to beyond or whatever yeah but uh, but it becomes a little bit of a different uh, soul in the company mm. because the founders is the one that lives and dies with the company. We 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 really like to work with the with the founders. Yeah, that's really exciting. I had a question a little bit related to uh, the founders again. Um, a lot of the people that we have on the show here um, are not uh, first time. Uh, founders, so to say, they have uh, either founded companies before, or they have been part of early stage founders and and uh, gone through the entire exercise, so to say. And I, I think that that's that carries a lot of weight and, and experience when you go into the, your your next startup, so to say. Um, what would your advice be to to first time startups? So, or let me rephrase the question. Um, First-time startups don't have that experience, and how do you look at great ideas that are pioneered by first-time founders that don't necessarily have the experience that have been on this journey before? So I would say, perhaps particularly in in SaaS, there is a playbook that really seems to work for many companies. How do you sell? How do you deliver? How do you handle customer success? And so forth. So it's it's really important in SaaS, I think, that the first-time founder gets advice from people in the network around him or her, uh, listens to podcasts, not only yourself, the saucer or whatever. Lot of, lot of good uh, input from from founders has done it before. Because it's it, it's pity to invent 
the wheel uh, another time for an entrepreneur. In in other businesses, it might be a little bit different, but SaaS is it has such a successful and established playbook with, of course, variations, but still. So so as a first time founder, bringing in some board members or advisors, so people have done it before, and or an investor like ourselves. Hopefully, we can bring some some uh, experience to the company and to the founders. I think yeah, that would be my advice. It's great advice. So stick to the playbooks and leverage the knowledge and experience from people that have been on this journey at least once before. Stick to the playbook, but of course, invent some more things around the playbook. I, I don't want to say that you have to do exactly as everyone else, but but it's pity to... to, to Add some pages. <laughs> there's a lot of wisdom in the playbook how to do this within SaaS. So, so take advantage of that would be my advice. Great. So for the companies that, that are ticking all the boxes, that feel that we're ready to accelerate beyond the Nordics and so on, we're ready to take on our first round of investment or venture capital, do you have a particular piece of advice for them for when they're looking at which venture capital or which investment fund to take on? What are the, some of the things that the founders should look at when deciding who to work with? So, of course, they need to look at the uh, size of the fund and uh, the capacity to uh, support them over time and so forth. That's clear. And, and the network that they hope they will be able to get from, from, uh, from uh, teaming up with a particular investor. But I think also it's important as a founder, I would think if I was a founder in, in, in these days to think about who are the people that you are interacting with, because um, it's, it's a long journey, uh, hopefully together with the investor and you have to like each other and think that this is, these are people that I uh, would find fun to work with. And hopefully that can bring some experience and some advice that I don't get otherwise. So uh, personal. Chemistry, I think, is not an unimportant matter as well. Hopefully, they select the industry fund because we are really nice people to work with. <laughs> <laughs> and so, what is the best way to get in touch with you? I would say, I mean, you can always cold call us, um, uh, but it's obviously better, frankly, if you know someone who knows us or can, can get some kind of recommendation. We look, of course, we. We get cold called from a lot of people more or less serious. So uh, it's, a, it's a risk that you end up in a little bit lower priority than if someone we know and like uh, calls up and suggests us to talk to, to this company. So the best would be to get an, a hot intro on someone, but cold calling is, is fine as well. Okay. So Thomas, I just realized there's a risk that you and I uh, will be bombarded with uh, ideas to invest in. We'll have to act as, as the first layer, first filter. Exactly. <laughs> we, we appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> so also you know uh, we are looking for interesting guests for future episodes and and since uh, i think you have a lot of good context so do you have any suggestions on people that you think would be interesting for our listeners and for ourselves to to talk to sure uh, a couple of names i, I thought about there is is uh, i mentioned funnel i think that's a very interesting story, both the fact that they went wrong initially and then turned around and now they're on the very exciting track. So I would uh, think Fredrik Skanse, CEO and founder of Funnel, would be a good name on the list. Another person also from an ex-portfolio company of ours, Click, is Mons Hultman, who um, was a founder, at least 
almost like a founder. There were a couple of guys before him. Founder, CEO, and then chairman of, of Click. And now he runs the um, investment firm, the venture capital firm Sobito, who we have a couple of very good uh, co-investments with, including InRiver, where Daniel works. They have, uh, and, and Mons Hultman, he's, he's a very nice guy and he's uh, also always very willing to share his experiences from his journey with Click and I'm sure also from his uh, time as an venture investor in SaaS companies. So a couple of names. Thank you. That's great. Fantastic names. And we'd love to have them on the show. One, one pivot story and one story from the hallways in Lund to a fantastic exit. So I, I think we have reached uh, the end of this episode. It was really, really interesting to uh, hear your insights and uh, some really good tips for the entrepreneurs out there, I think. So uh, thank you so much, Hadar, for being on the show. Uh, and uh, yeah, see you around. Absolutely. Thank you for having me and good luck with uh, continuing this show. Looking forward to hearing it. So with that, we thank Holar Cash for, uh, for the interview. Great having you on the show. And I find also that it's interesting that both me and you, Daniel, has worked for two companies that were funded by Industry Fund. And besides InRiver, I worked for Catena within Geographical IT. And they also worked with Industry Fund for, for many years. That's right. Sometimes I joke that I co-invest with, with Industry Fund. And it's obviously <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at my current employer and... In a, in a previous stunt, my wife worked for a startup company and we had a small stake in that business as well. But my experience from Industry Fondant is is great. Uh, just like Hadar mentioned here is that they're not just a, a financial muscle. It's it's really the way they support the businesses, everything from, from coaching and helping with future rounds and all of these things. So I think that was one of the strong messages for me in this episode. Uh, when you're growing and scaling your business, obviously it's tempting to, to bring in capital, but it's not just the money that makes the difference. Make sure you find somebody that's going to be a long-term partner for you. I think that was one of the big messages that, that resonated with me. Yeah, absolutely. And we could just see how they sort of helped funnel when they did their pivot. And even if it took a number of years before they sort of got up to speed with the new idea, uh, they they had that support um, during that time. Yeah. And do you have any other key takeaways from the episode? I think it was very good for, for Hadar to, to reconfirm some of the things that uh, maybe most of us already know, but it's good to hear it directly from the investors. When it comes to the SaaS business, there are certain metrics that are more relevant than others. And there is, like he refers to, a playbook. So just make sure that you can tick the check boxes. You need to have a certain level of ARR. In this particular case, he was referring to five to 10 million Swedish crowns. But it's, it's also things uh, like make sure you have enough of a market. So it's not enough for you to just be best in Nordics. You, you need to be able to have uh, the ability to, to be the best player in the world. Some of the other metrics related to uh, how quickly you grow your business in terms of uh, new logo acquisition, but also I think what a lot of people maybe are, are not always necessarily thinking about, it is the churn. So making sure that you have the right metrics in terms of churn, so very few companies need to leave you. Uh, so just keep these metrics in check 
And then I think you're well positioned to have the initial conversations really. Yeah, and then also the importance of not just being able to talk the talk, but uh, walk the walk. I mean, it's a lot about execution. And even if you're in an early phase, if you just can show that you actually can execute on what you are saying that you're going to do, then you have a big chance on impressing the investors. And also, it's important to have the right contact. So, so as he said, um, to be introduced to them by a contact that they have confidence in or that they know that's a good way of getting in front of these investors. Exactly. But if you want to get in front of us, there is several ways that you can contact us here. Um, you can uh, email us at contact at sasnordic.com. We are also available on our social platforms with the handle sasnordic. Can reach out uh, on LinkedIn or Facebook or Twitter. Also, if you want to read more about the uh, podcast, you can go to sasnordic.com. And of course, if you have any suggestions about guests that we should have on the show or any topics, please reach out to us. And we're looking forward to continue doing this together with you guys. And we hope you have a really great week and see you around. See you around. <laughs>